Hey everybody, this was a special episode of the Mycelial Spokes, where we, I had the chance to have a good discussion with the visionaries behind Earth Pulse Collective, a new vision to bring people together, artists uh, to inspire each other and clear the pathways so that artists can bring their masterpieces to Earth and uh, inspire each other to carry out their missions in a way. And um, our friends Dylan Lyon, as well as Holly Clark, uh, shared with us their perspective and their history of doing their own personal work and uncovering the shadow, the ignored and the neglected aspects of self. And uh, they shared with us some of their tips and tricks, um, which is that there is no tips and tricks. There's really only doing the internal work, the deep work of excavating the stories that hold us back. Um, if you want to find out more about them, you can go to earthpulsecollective.com. And if you're looking to get a hold of them, you can email them at info at earthpulsecollective.com. And this was a really great conversation. For the next hour and a half, you'll be inspired and delighted to hear these two powerful spiritual beings share with us uh, their experience and what inspires them to inspire other people. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. And it was the first conversation that was held in the sanctuary called Haven. So I want to give a very special shout out to Danny Stevens and all of the artists in the collective, uh, Dustin and Forrest and Allison. You guys were awesome in hosting us today and um, the all the work that you've done so far in bringing this really awesome sanctuary for artists, uh, the Artist Haven and Coven in uh, Portland, Oregon. I'm really inspired to see what continues to happen there. But for now, here's our conversation with Holly. And I'm here with uh, Dylan Lyon and Holly Clark, right, of Earth Pulse Collective. We are going to be discussing the vision and the blueprint and the template for Earth Pulse Collective, what it is and uh, how everybody can join and get involved in the vision of uplifting humanity and empowering artists, which is what I understand is at the core of the mission statement is empowering artists. I'm going to put on a little Tycho in the background so that um, we've got a little ambiance going on. I'm Zachary Wolk, and I am the host of the Midnight Mystics podcast on Shady Pines Radio, as well as the founder and visionary of Lucid Vibe Radio. And I am <laughs> I am stoked to be here with uh, my two new friends and having this hour and a half conversation or an hour and 15 minute conversation where we're going to dive into their history and what creates and gives a per person their mission and purpose and how they can help people find their own mission and purpose and bring that to the rest of the world because at this point in time people have been repressing their gifts because they've been distracted and we want to liberate that and clear out all the muck and all the story and just free the way and clear the path for artists to show up fully um so would you each introduce yourselves a little bit while i put on some music uh, yeah, I am Dylan Lyon. I'm a transformational coach, retreat facilitator, um, empath educator, and lifelong world traveler. I grew up in Southern California, and I've been traveling around the world now for the last 10 years, studying personal development, spirituality, and at its essence, what it means to live from the heart. And uh, kind of placing a bet on my own life that if one follows their own guidance that it will take them ultimately where they're meant to go in this lifetime 
And uh, at its core, that really birthed out of a feeling my entire life of never really belonging, never fitting in. I kind of jokingly say that the cultural programming just never stuck. And no matter how hard I tried to fit into the box of society, it just, I just couldn't. And so there's a lot of pain and anguish in that growing up, um, which ultimately led to this leap of faith into the unknown. When I was 18, I, I graduated high school, packed up a backpack, took $700, and started to travel the world. And I had no idea what I was doing or where I was going. I knew nothing about spirituality or kind of conscious scenes or anything like that. I just knew that there was something deep down in my soul that felt like it really didn't belong in the world that I was born into. And I felt like I was at this choice point where it was either I'm going to completely surrender like what remained of my spirit, like what part of me still remained intact after an entire lifetime of conditioning. It was either I'm going to give that up in order to fit into the world that I was born into, or I was going to have to completely leave everything I had known and and go discover what else is out there. And in the end, I, I chose that path, and it's been about 10 years now. Thank you. And Holly? Yeah, okay, well, my name's Holly Clark. I was born in Australia. I am a avid lover of life. I'd probably put myself in the dreamer category, the visionary category, but my journey was really one of feeling like I was trapped my entire life. I always wanted to get out. I always wanted to be free. So there was something inside of myself that I felt like I was on this giant search for the first 20 years of my life, being like, is this my home? No, it's not. Is this my home? Is this where I fit? No. And I couldn't find that feeling of freedom, of fully being somewhere that felt like it was my home and my place. And that ultimately, you know, in a very similar way to Dylan, except we didn't meet each other until much later in our lives, it became so intense that I had to kind of give up society. It wasn't, I couldn't find myself in the, the box. I never fit in the box anyway, so it didn't work. And that really drew me on this, what I call a spiritual path. I had pretty rude awakening in my early 20s. And um, I kind of handed my life over and said, I feel like there's a better way to, to wake up and to find everything I'm searching for, which I realized was freedom and love. That's what I was searching for in everything I was doing. There was this underlying realization of, wait a minute, I am trying to figure out all these things because I just want to feel free and loved and worthy inside. So I went on a journey and I did the same thing. I threw everything in and then I tried to follow my heart. And that, of course, was a very, it's a crazy journey because you realize you're in your head and you're full of concepts and you're full of ideas about who and what you should be and how society is. And I had to break through all of that to find that everything I was searching for, like Rumi says, is where I was standing. And it took me on an insane journey of understanding the human being, what it means to be human, the metaphysics of the world, what it means to live in your heart. And beautifully, it has collided me with Dylan in a moment where we were both following that path so intensely and so committed to our own journey that on a mountain, you know, in Guatemala, we just like crossed each other's paths and then it continued on from there. So that's a little bit about about how I ended up here in a very brief overview. <laughs> what do you think informed both of you guys if we're fully integrate, if we're fully immersed in the programming of society? What would both of you guys say um, helped you wake up to the notion that the program wasn't suitable, wasn't a healthy environment for your, for you to continue on that path? Mm. Yeah. I would say it's fierce questioning. 
I think it's important for anyone to be fiercely questioning what's presented because that's where all the answers are. If you're not asking the question, then you're not, you're not searching, you're not looking, you're just taking it at face value. And for me, I'm not exactly sure where it came from, but I was that kind of, maybe it was because I was a little bit more of an introvert. I wasn't as external. I was a little bit more in my head growing up. Um, I was thinking a lot. I was analyzing, I was observing a lot. And that led to a lot of deep questioning. And, you know, it doesn't take much questioning about the kind of cookie cutter thing that we've been presented for it to start to unravel. So with even the, the slightest bit of inquiry to the mainstream, you start to find all these plot holes, you know, and um, if you follow it down enough, then you kind of start to get into, okay, well, how do I reconcile all of this plot holes that I'm starting to find within myself and my own experience? And especially, it can be really challenging when everyone else around you agrees with it or agrees with what's presented, right? And you're the one who seems to be acting out of character. So there was a lot of that I used to, in my kind of throughout my awakening in the beginning, I would go back and forth sometimes daily between this feeling of, I must be the one who's crazy because I'm the one who seems to have a problem with how the world's you know, functioning in this sense. And everyone else seems perfectly fine with it. And, and you know, I'm, the, I'm the outcast, I'm the weird one. And so there were moments of that. And then in other moments, it started to have this feeling of, I must be the only sane person that I know. And you kind of jumping back and forth between that. And uh, yeah, it's, I think it's questions that unravel all of these things. Hmm. And um, for me, it was growing up in a family and a society that had an idea of what success looked like. You know, being intelligent, having a career, having friends, having a partner, having all of these, you know, these ideas of what success is and realizing that I was intelligent enough to create that life. So there I was, I was studying medicine, I was in the top percent of my degree, I lived in a house, I was privileged, I had money, I had a job, I had friends. So based on what society would say was successful for where I was, I had people around me saying, oh my God, I'm so inspired by your success. And on the inside, my relationships were breaking down, my health was breaking down. Every night I'll come home and cry because I felt like I wasn't connecting with something inside of me. And it was that complete um, opposition and dual experience of... So, you know, the success, the idea of success, and at the same time, the total and utter destruction of my inner world. And what was happening was it led me down the same kind of path of questioning something doesn't feel quite right here. Something doesn't feel quite right. Um, and so that intense level of, of dual experience that's happening inside of my body was enough for me to say, there are cracks in this system. I was like Neil at that moment where I was walking around on Groundhog Day, looking at other people living their lives, looking at myself going, wait, I'm fitting into this idea of, of perfection and it feels like shit. It feels, something doesn't feel right here. Something's not quite right. And, and that was the same kind of inner feeling of I, I, have to, I have to change the way I'm doing things. And I started talking to what I call spirit. There was an inner voice that kind of erupted out of that and said, it's time to do things differently. And I said, all right, let's see what you've got. And what was the answer to that question? The answer to that question in that moment was, it actually was a small dialogue I had with spirit that said, it's time to give up everything. And I said, what do you mean everything? And it says, everything, you've tried it your way. Are you ready to try it mine? And I believe now that that was my higher self talking to me. And I said, well, what do I do? And it said, give up. And so I gave up. I quit university. I got kicked out of my job. I, um, 
actually my relationship ended. And then the next thing that happened is I ended up with all this money in my bank account, asking what the hell to do next. And the answer was go to India. So I gave everything up. I took the money that I had and I booked a flight to India and I jumped on that plane and uh, any way I never ever turned back. There is that inherent pull towards the unknown because we start to realize that what's already been presented can't possibly be the answer that you're looking for. Then your growth, your edge, or the path of spirit has to be in the unknown. It can't be in the known because you've already known it. So you kind of have that inherent pull towards you have to take a leap of faith if you're going to try to find an answer beyond what's already been presented and you, it's already in the known. There is that moment where you've got to give up the known or you've got to get out of your own comfort zone and step into the unknown and you actually don't know what's there. So you ask what those moments are. I think for myself, for a lot of people I meet, for a lot of people I work with, those moments that change everything as the moment where you're suffering enough and usually it seems to be suffering or pain that helps you make these choices where the comfort zone that you're in is is no longer an option for you. It's too painful now. The comfort became painful and it gets so uncomfortable that you have to step out. Right, right. Totally, totally. Uh, my friend Preston, he says uh, it's the fed up moment. It's like, yeah, if you don't, if we, if you, and it, he goes through the same process, it's the bridge method. It's um, if you get to a process and in inquiry of like, okay, how are you doing on a scale of one to 10 with this and this and this and this and this. And when you continue to ask yourself these questions, eventually you'll get to the point where you're fed up yeah. and you can't tolerate the way things have been going. Mm -hmm. But until you get to that impasse, which it seems like both of you came to on your own, yeah. which is like the question of like, how did you guys come to that point without the help of a community like Earth Pulse Collective or the Bridge Method or whatever. What it's so funny that you bring this up because I was going through that mass transformation yeah. when Preston and Alexi were in Australia. And a whole bunch of the community there, the community in Australia, yeah. had been doing the bridge and extreme. They'd been going through this, but I never felt the calling to go and actually go through that experience myself because I was going through it without them. Right. And I don't know how, it's really interesting how consciousness works because what was happening in my journey at that time is I was watching the community that I was in on the Gold Coast, which is where Preston and Lexi come a bunch of times. They were coming together and there was people just coming together to do the bridge. And I had people ringing me, inviting me to things because they thought I had done it, which was fascinating. I had about six or seven people being like, it was so good to see you at the bridge. And I'm like, I never went. But that community coming together, that was the same moment where I felt like I was actually being pushed out of the community and I had to go by myself. And I was going through a personal evolution experience of not feeling like I was part of the community. I had to step away from it. So my unknown in that moment was not getting involved in that. And it kicked me over to the other side of the world. Interesting. And yeah, it was a really fascinating journey because I was watching on my Facebook the whole community kind of forming around these concepts that Preston and Alexi had dropped down there. And I was here, actually I was in Seattle, in Portland at some point, sitting, going through heartbreak. That's what was happening for me. I was going through heartbreak in the middle of the arts community. That's when I met you actually, realizing that for me, the most powerful experience was to not be part of that and to go through it like this. Sure. Yet it was all happening for everybody at the same it's time. It's interesting how people's psychology, there's like different types and certain people, they do have to have a group in order to make that transition with and through. Mm -hmm. And so they have to find that community that can hold them while they go through their break 
down mm -hmm. to find the breakthrough. And so many people do find that, that truth of their own inherent self-worth outside of the acknowledgement and um, validation of the rest of society, mm -hmm. but they do so through a community. So it's a bit of a paradox, yeah. but with both of you independent of a process of a, having a community to foster your growth, development, evolution, you came through it on your own. So the question I had before was, what was your first step then towards when you say give up everything? So Christopher McCandless in Into the Wild, he, after graduating college, he had that same moment, drove to the side of the road, burned all his money and his passport. Yeah. That's what he did. That's like the first action step. You jumped out of the room when, yeah. I, when I said it. But okay. what I did was I quit university. I almost had no, no choice. I, had, I was getting migraines by that point and I just quit. I then quit my job or it was a bit of a mutual thing. My job fired me. I had a partner at the time. We broke up. It just went boom, 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 boom. And I ended up sitting in my room actually having my own version of Eat, Pray, Love because I think there's a very romanticized idea of what comes next, but life keeps going. And I remember sitting in my room literally for the first time I could remember talking to God and saying, well, what the hell do I do next? The very first idea that came said, you go to India. So I jumped on my computer. I booked a one-way ticket to India. I booked it straight away. I gave away all my things. And within a, a month and a half, I was on a plane flying to India. And that's the first step I took. Gave up everything and I never turned back from there. And what did you find in India for, your, for yourself? For myself? Obviously, there's a lot. Yeah, in it was India. huge. Like a lot of people have asked me, "How was India?" And I, I say it was brilliant, confusing, terrifying, wonderful, liberating. And that was just the first day. And I was there for six months. For me, what I found in India, which is a whole book and a journey on its own, is I started to follow the Hare Krishnas. That fell into my path very quickly. There was a lot of synchronistic events. I kept meeting people. The books get put in my hand. I read them. I was resonating with a lot that was happening there, especially in terms of like the elevation of consciousness and um, food being something that was very intimately connected to how our body functions. I understood about the process of enlightenment. I learned about the guru. And I, you know, it's so funny because you think that you're going in a certain direction when you're on this journey. And so I thought when I was in India that I was going to meet my guru and it was going to be Radhanath Swami. That's who I thought it was going to be. He was one of the leaders of the Hare Krishna movement, a very interesting man. So I followed this path to meet him and I got there and on the day I went to meet him, I met another woman sitting right next to me in this massive seminar. I went two hours early because I wanted to meet him and I met her. She became my teacher for the next year and a half. I didn't know I was going to meet her. And this is a fascinating part of my journey that I didn't know what was going to happen. Her job and her role in my life was to rip me out of the illusion of the positive and the happy and the flowery. And she said, look at the shadows and the love. So then I spent a year and a half looking at every single part of the world and myself that I had rejected, did not want to look at. Shame, guilt, stupidity, arrogance, a lot of arrogance, like facing off with the darkness. So what I found in India was a method to look at the shadow. And it took me through an understanding of abuse and trauma and shadow work unlike anything that I had ever done in my life. And that really set, uh, one of the foundations I work with now is understanding that we cannot reject the shadow and we cannot neglect the trauma that is felt in our bodies from when we're children and what we've been through. So part of the spiritual journey is also looking at these things. 
So that's what I found in India. I found a teacher who helped me look at what I was trying to run away from so deeply. Thank you. Um, is to have you uh, synthesized that inquiry of the shadow into the, your your process and curriculum with uh, Earth Pulse Collective? And what is Earth Pulse Collective? I'll answer that briefly, and then I'll, sh- I'll pass it over to Dylan. But absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of the things that we have integrated and brought into this process because you cannot wake up and you cannot become a fully embodied human being if you are rejecting half of the human experience. So we didn't come here just to just to kind of only look at the light, but to understand that duality or the darkness is the part of us that is teaching us how to love by then absorbing it into the light of our heart. So yes, we look at the shadow. We understand that from many different perspectives. So it's not just a the power of positive psychology mm-hmm. integration. Okay. Just to gain an understanding. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And uh, the basics of Earth Pulse is we're a place where people can come to evolve their consciousness, activate their creativity, and step in a place of inner freedom. So we have processes that we take people through that help them realize on the inside that they're actually already free. And then from that freedom, we're able to step deeper into what we're truly here to do, whether or not that's being a healer or an artist or a creator or an entrepreneur, whatever it is you know, your passion actually is. If we're first free from the inside, then we're free to shift our world on the outside the way that we, we truly desire. So, you know, when we birthed the idea of Earth Pulse, I was sitting at Imagine Festival with Danny. And what had happened for me in, in this, this is kind of where it started, is I had been on a healing journey for eight years understanding healing, understanding enlightenment, understanding spirituality, understanding the guru, and all of that's where my my focus and my passion was. And then I stepped into the festival scene and I started sitting with the visual artists. And what I was watching was people in the festival coming and sitting next to visual artists and going through an inner transformation in the visual artist's presence. So I got into a conversation with the, the visual artists and I said, my God, you're doing what healers do. You may not be aware of it, but you are a naturally gifted healer. And maybe it's because you're tapped into something that is the same space that a healer is tapped into. And when you're truly embodied in that space, people go through transformation around you. And I got into this conversation with with Danny, who was the other person sitting with us. He's now on the board as our artistic director. And, um, And we were saying, oh my God, art and healing, bring them together. There's something incredibly transformative and powerful in that combination that can help people to wake up. So we birthed Earth Pulse at first and it's become much clearer than them, but we said, we want to combine art, creative expression, everything to do with art, ancient wisdom teaching, so all the inner work, with emerging technologies. So how can we put together what we're using, technology, the internet, all of this stuff, um, primal therapies, which is all of the work that allows people to express themselves, express their emotions, feel their emotions, and ancient wisdom through medicines, maybe depending on which countries we're in, because that was another part of my journey and also the artistic journey. So that's where we decide, where we started with Earth Pulse. What we have right now, just to bring that into a very clear vision, is that we've basically created Hogwarts 
So we have a metaphysical university that we're creating online. We have the processes that we've built up in there. And now we're looking for the Neos, the Harrys, the Peter Pans who are ready to fly, the rebels, the misfits, and the artists. Because we understand that these archetypes, the artistic, dreaming, empathic human beings who are on our planet, are naturally gifted healers, whether they know it or not. We're there to lay the foundations and the platforms for them to actually understand their gifts and then to teach other people how to do that. So we're creating a spiritual revolution, but it's actually an artistic revolution. And our team is all artists and we're seeing that they're the same damn thing. And we are so ready for it. At the end of the day, I got to just add this in here. I'm so damn excited about it is what we can see happening or what I can see happening is that as artists understand their own self, the art that comes through them is literally how we are going to recreate a new world. That's how we're going to do it. We have to wake up, tap into that infinite space, which is the space beyond this world. We're looking at the the, the higher self, the metaphysical, whatever we want to call that, God, the quantum field. Those visions are going to come through the human being. Then we are going to create a new world. And that is done through the artist, which all humans really are, if they wake up to that fact, here, here it is. And so this is what we're doing. This is why artists, this is why healers, this is why now. So I agree with everything that you just said. And I believe that artists are the most important teachers and artists really are the two most important people on the planet right now, because they are the ones to determine with how we as a species navigate the transitions that the earth is going through. Um, you have scientists and you have all of these different people that are involved in the process as well, but without the teachers and the artists, um, there's really no direction. These are the, these are the leaders. And so my question, I have two questions. First question, which may take the rest of the interview is, um, you mentioned, you mentioned these archetypes of Harry Potter and Gandalf and Merlin and Peter Pan and all these people. Um, what do you say to somebody that goes, well, I'm not that person. That's, she's not talking about me. They're not talking about me and they're not talking to me. I would say that we operate from our conditioning, typically, right? We're running around with our trauma and our pain and our past and the baggage and all the different things that have happened to us that have kind of shaped the identity of, of, that we think we are, right? We create a character. We think this is who I am, right? And we don't actually really know who we are when we go beyond that character. We don't know who we are as individuals when we've actually done all of our healing. We don't know who we are when we're no longer carrying the past. We've cried all of our tears. We've opened our hearts again. We're not carrying around the same old baggage. We don't really know what's possible for, for ourselves because we, we don't see ourselves that way. We are like the fish in the fishbowl. We're so within the character that it's hard to even recognize that, wait a second, where did all of that come from? When did I decide as an individual that I'm not an artist or that I'm not creative or that I'm not powerful for one or that I'm not free or that I'm not a good dancer, communicator, painter, artist or that I can't create a business or that I can't change the world, right? And a lot of inner work processes talk about that. It's like there's a moment when we decide what our identity is. And just because we've played that identity out for a long time doesn't mean that it's true. So we sometimes have to go really deep inside of ourselves and reconnect back in with our hearts and not only just go, what do I know is true underneath all of that? Who do I, who do I think is possible that I could be? Who might I be? But then we also have to go, who do I want to be? 
and also realize that we're not slaves to our past or our conditioning. We can free ourselves from that and then recreate ourselves. So there's a difference too between I'm not an artist. Yes, but would you like to be? Actually, yeah, that would be pretty great. Would you like to be creative? Yeah. Would you like to be free? Would you like to have fun? Would you like to create a business? You know, would you like to do something big in the world? Actually, I would, but it's just not who I am. Right. Great. Well, we're going to help you get beyond who you think you are because your past isn't true anyways. One of my favorite coaches, uh, this guy, Steve Chandler, he talks about whatever you do, just don't be you. And it's kind of playing on the, you know, just, just be you. Yeah. But it's the reverse because this idea of the you, you think you are is a lie. Right. You in the past, anything beyond who you are in this moment isn't really true anyway. So you just keep remembering it in a way that's not actually useful for you. So stop being you. You know, it, classic analogy of this is like going, if you're going to a job interview and you got rejected the last six times, the very last thing you want to do to the seventh interview is show up and be the guy who just got rejected six times. Don't right. be that guy. Right. Just be fully present to this moment because in that moment, all that other stuff is in the past. Where is it? Find it. Take it out. Show it to me. Right. It's not actually there. So even even that identity that we're holding, it's like, oh, I'm not a painter. Really, if I got you fully present in the moment and put you in front of a canvas and got rid of all that identity and just got you moving, maybe you are. Maybe you could become one. You don't really know. You know, I, I love this so much. And this is so much this is so much creative alchemy because every time we're together and have these conversations, it wakes up realizations within us, right? And I, I love this idea. I mean, we're talking to the Neos who feel like the world is, something's not quite right. We're looking at the dreamers who are like, I know it can be different than this. I, I really feel that we're looking for the Harry Potters. But I love this idea of, even if you don't think you are, if you want to be, that's the part of you that knows it's possible trying to talk through your conditioning. So if you look at that thing and you go, oh man, I wish... I wish I could be free. Do you know how many people sit on my Facebook and send me messages and be like, man, I wish I could do what you could do. And I'm like, the fact that you wish you could is the part of you that can. You just don't realize it yet. I'm not different from you. Is it possible to wake up and be an artist? Hell yes. I didn't even know that I could draw until I sat in a group of artists drawing. And after a period of time, I picked up a pen and I started drawing. I went, oh my God. And it wasn't until I started it and then it happened that I was then able to go, Oh my God, I am an artist. It wasn't until you put the music on, you start dancing, that you go, wait a minute, I am a dancer. Or that you start writing, or that you start communicating. A mother doesn't know that they're a mother until they start mothering. And they go, oh my God, actually, I didn't realize, but I am. So what I'd say to anyone listening to this is if even the slightest part of you wants to be something, find a way to start. Because the second you start an experience, it doesn't matter how how messy it is, it doesn't matter how incomplete it feels, it does not matter because in the starting of it, in that moment, you realize, wait a minute, I am doing this. That makes me this. And then if you continue on that journey enough, you realize that every single artist, dancer, communicator, guru, spiritual teacher, entrepreneur, whatever person started like that, every single one of them had to make that jump into actually doing something. And they started at the beginning, they put a pen to paper, they wrote something down, they put some music on, they thought about something, they had a conversation, they booked a call. It does not matter what it was. Actually, it was simple. It was one thing first, one foot in front of another foot in front of another foot. And one day they woke up and went, oh my God, I turned into the person. Something inside of me knew I was going to turn into if I just walked the path. Can I add one more 
<laughs> this is a good. I love this question. This is fun. Okay. Okay. So if we want to make it even even more interesting, we could also look at it from the universe's perspective and say you are the universe. You're the light of whatever the heck is creating this, condensed down into physical matter, and you're a person, right? You're this individual expression of divinity. And as that individual expression, you're creating all of it, and you have an unlimited creative potential. So actually, every single person is creative, but most people harness their creative energy and channel it into ways of being that aren't fun at all. That character we were talking about earlier, the character you think you are, you're creating it. So actually, you're super creative. You're creating the character. You're creating the one who's shut down. You're creating the one who's not good enough. You're creating all of it. You're holding it up and saying, "This is who I am." And every single day. Using your creativity to kind of mold the clay and say, "Well, I'm this." You can even use your creativity to consistently、um, create the identity that you're not creative. Now, how look how powerful that is? Because wow, look how shut down I am. I'm so not creative. That's how creative you are. Is that you can create an identity that that potent that whatever you believe becomes true about yourself. That's how powerful of a creator you actually are. So some of it, like when I when I would do inner work with people, and I help them realize it's not about I need to. Like harness some creative force that I'm. I don't have. Actually, you already have it. What you need to do is stop channeling it into beliefs that are completely disempowering. You have plenty of creative energy. You're just using it to hold up the identity that you're not. So we're not in lack of creativity. We're just putting it into places that actually we might not prefer to. And then we go into the preference. It's like where then that preference is originally aligned with. This like the, the conditioning and the programming as well.、Um, what I'm hearing you both say is that we got to start somewhere. That 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 nobody becomes Alex Gray or whoever the Beatles the first day, right? And so, in order to do that, you have to find a pencil to put to a piece of paper. You have to find a drum to play, and. So then people go, well, I'm not worthy. Exactly. I'm not worthy of being that. I mean, and and that, and I'll tell you the truth. I, I, I run art galleries, but I look at people like Danny. I look at people like Michelle Anders. I look at people like、um, Adam. I look at people like Alex Gray or、uh, Autumn Sky, and I go, they're so far ahead. I'm 37 years old. I'm never going to be them. I'm never going to create something that's as inspiring as the tapestries that I have in my house. But I can support the proliferation and distribution of this art. So that's how I'm going to serve my role. Because I recognize the value in it. But I would just, I just think that the most efficient use of my time is in helping support them instead of creating my own masterpiece. Right.、Mm. So. Yeah, it's like I, I wanted to, and I feel really called to、uh, giving a shout out to our friend Casey because Casey has. I, I actually saw a painting of Casey's, Casey Wallace, and I thought it was Adams because、mm. it was so brilliant, so beautiful.、But、she doesn't paint or draw, so how the so that's Adams, and she may have done some accents or something like that, and then he hit me back and was like, "No, that was Casey's." That this painting is completely Casey's, but I know because I've been, I, you know, I'm a kind of a historian of the transformational scene. That Casey started not with visual art; she started doing handstands. 
She started doing handstands first. Mm -hmm. She said, I can't do a handstand. So she didn't need a pen or a paintbrush or anything like that. She started with, with her body, with what she had. And so I think that's, that's, I'm so intuitively called to give a shout out to Casey because we all have some tools to create art with, without having to reach outside of ourselves because as an inner source, we actually don't have the ability without reaching outside of ourselves. But in order to start that process, we, we can start with right here in this mm. room. Like I could start freestyling or something like that, you know? You know, it's so beautiful. I'm wearing Casey's ring right uh -huh. now. And I was there for some of Casey's development into an artist at the same time I was here in Portland. And you've mentioned something so beautiful here. We don't need, this is a beautiful, this is like the essence of Earth Pulse too. We're not here to teach anybody to be an artist or to be a healer. Your creative genius is inside of you. You're not Alex Gray, but whatever Alex Gray's essence is, like that makes Alex Gray, you have your own individual master inside of you. Casey has her own individual master inside of her. The healing and the art and the, the genius is already there. What it is is the boundaries of self-disempowering self-beliefs that you put in the way to actually access those things. So if you start to remove or understand those beliefs that then move the thought that you can't or you're not good enough or you're not better than or that you're too old or that you'll never get there or that someone else has had so much um, so much more time to be a genius, what happens is you start to access creativity and healing genius fast. Do you know how quickly Casey started to paint like that? What I recognized in myself, because I was on a similar journey, is I did not sing until I was 31 years old. I then went through a bunch of inner work processes to let go of the beliefs that I couldn't, that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't beautiful enough. Not only did I start singing very quickly, I started drawing, my dancing got better, and all of these different areas of artistic expression started to erupt out of me at the same time at a level that I could not have even comprehended. Your creative genius is inside of you. It's already there. Your healing abilities are already there. The only thing that is stopping you is a series of self-beliefs and feelings that haven't been fully integrated into you that are, that are kind of holding you back from being your own brilliant creative genius. We know that that's inside of every single person. Now, they may not know it, and our art is how do we communicate it to the point where someone's willing to take that first step. And you know what? It may be, and this is the genius of helping each other, it may be giving somebody the task of learning how to do a handstand so that they can realize their artistic ability. Right. It may be the genius of getting someone to dance, even though their art is words, because the dancing breaks apart the, the mindset that says, I'm not good enough. It opens things up. So it doesn't matter what you do. And that's the, the genius of the teacher, of the, of the class and the things, is you actually give people the actual tasks that help them go beyond the mindset that says you're not already this brilliant. And the second that opens up and you start to trust yourself and tune into that, you're unstoppable. What's inside of every human being is so damn beautiful. I'm going to finish this off by saying that the best part about it is every single human being expresses themselves differently. There is no competition. Alex Gray is Alex Gray. Casey Wallace is Casey Wallace, but you are you. And nobody, 
will ever be able to express your art like you do. No matter how far they study, they could go to university for eternity, but every single human being is like a snowflake and everyone is different. We come from the same source, all snowflakes of waters, of water, but the art that comes out of every human being, whatever expression that is, nobody will do it like you. And when it is fully turned on and you're attuned to your creative genius, whatever that may be, there is nothing more beautiful than it. We could just end right now. <laughs> You know what's really beautiful about this moment is when we turn up in alignment with our hearts, we go through transformation and we help each other with that. And you can feel it happening right now. We're moving beyond a time where information is the only thing the human being is ready for. What do you mean by that? We don't just want to fill our head with understandings, we want to go through experiences so we can actually feel ourselves change and shift and become more of who we're meant to be and so we're at a time where we're ready to help each other step into the truth and the authentic expression of our most beautiful selves we won't change this world through information alone we can't think our way there we will transform ourselves from the inside out and just like we said before as we evolve and we take those steps forward into ourselves. the beauty that will start coming out of you naturally will help this planet transform into a new world, the world that we're all searching to be in. But we know how to do it already. It's already done, actually. It's just whether we have the courage now to let that transformation happen and how fast is kind of up to you. So I listened to this amazing, teacher by the name of Anna Brown and uh, she does these Instagram uh, TV stories where she has shared recently that there's nothing we have to do that there's nothing we have to be or there's nothing we have to change we just need to accept that we are it's this cliche thing of we are the ones that we've been waiting for we are the ones that we are seeking and people go Yes, that's a fucking great slogan. That's a great, that's a great motivational poster to have on the wall. We are the ones that we're waiting for. But it exists in that context and people don't really accept it as their own personal truth that they walk on their path. And so paradoxically, I think the the little addendum that's missing is like, there is nothing we have to do there is nothing we need. We have to change because we are inherently magnificent and brilliant and creative. And then once we accept it, then everything starts automatically flowing through us and we become like the instrument that Alex Gray uses to paint his paintings. Mm-hmm. Only then we pick up the instrument that helps us create our art just as we are the creations of, for me, the great spirit that has created all of us is we are an instrument of, of its and so um, in, that, in that saying, 
it's, I think, really helpful to have configurations and academies like Hogwarts to to fine-tune the instruments, mm-hmm. right? Because not every instrument is um, is capable. Like, I could take a pencil and I could start tapping it on things, and it's got the one frequency. It cannot um, make the noise of a guitar, right? It just can't. It, but if we learn how to make a guitar or we know where to get a guitar, then we can pick up and, and undulate that particular frequency. So I say all this to say in fine-tuning ourselves as creative instruments, what have you guys synthesized in Earth Pulse towards helping people fine-tune themselves as, this, as instruments of their own innate creativity? So you want to tell us a little bit about what you, what you have planned to share with people? Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of ways. Um, I mean, the number one thing that we've created, at least for the online platform, is a course called Remember. That's a four-month-long program that is an incredibly deep dive into the entire kind of journey that an individual takes when they want to go from taking that initial leap towards following their heart or getting on a spiritual path or whatever you would call that creative path and, and how to have the courage to find and take that leap and then everything that happens to us as individuals, all the different processes we start going through when we realize that, like, like you said, I'm the instrument that I want to tune. I'm the one I want to work on on the inside. So we have a whole bunch of series of processes and different ways to help people evolve their consciousness and do their healing so that they can step into a space of, of freedom. Um, and there's a wide range of in-depth things that we brought together through our, our journeys to help people in that capacity. If I had to say kind of two very big general areas of it, one would be this idea of, of kind of the shadow work side of the ability to go in and sit with the parts of ourselves that need healing or sit with the belief systems that are no longer really relevant or outdated or learning how to get access to the parts of ourselves that we're trying, trying to transform and have the process to be able to go inside and actually do that alchemy for ourselves. Um, not just have experiences on the outside that do it to us, but actually have the awareness to go inside and do it through ourselves. And a lot of that ends up being meditation, which meditation, as opposed to quieting the mind, meditation is really taking time to sit with parts of ourselves and get familiar with them so that we can actually transform them. Um, the kind of image I like to imagine is like, take you wanting to paint, for example, and you're sitting there in front of the, the paper and you have your, you're about to paint, but then right behind you, there's your shadow. And your shadow is the one that has the fear, the doubt, the uncertainty, right? And the shadow is kind of always this thing that's looming over us. And one way we could try to push through that, sh- that block would be to say, well, I'll paint harder or I'll paint stronger or I'll paint more. You know, I'll push through it, that kind of masculine approach. The inner approach would be like, let me actually, as opposed to trying to paint more, let me pause and go inside and actually start to do what in the Toltec lineage they call stalking your own shadow. And you, through awareness, literally become the one. It's like you think the shadow was stalking you. Now I'm stalking the shadow, oh. right? And that's a very cool thing because now it's going, I, you th- I thought the shadow was hunting me. I'm actually hunting my shadow down now. So I can start to find you when you come up and then start to work with you in different ways to, to heal that and remove that. And then you standing before the painting, if you get rid of some of that shadow, it's just freeing up your ability to do what you want to do much easier. So you're not pushing against all of the blocks, you're actually going inside and handling them, and that opens up the door to move forward. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about art, we're talking about business, we're talking about relationship. Um, Half the time, for example, when someone asks me to 
help them go a certain direction in their lives. The very the first thing I do is I have them pause and say, let's go find the part of you that doesn't want to move forward in your life before we even try to move forward. Because if we don't go inside and address the part of us that we all have that doesn't want to move forward, you're constantly battling between two parts of you. And that just makes, it's a grinding of the gears at that point. And it's an attempt at kind of trying to um, get the, uh, the shadow self to submit. And that rarely works. Because oftentimes the, the fear that we have is actually bigger than the part of us that wants to create anyways. So we have to have that ability to go inside and do that shadow work, stalk our own shadow and bring healing to that part of ourselves. And that's first and foremost. The other side of that, I would say, is really getting in touch with the heart. And for me, the heart is our compass. You could call it the soul, you could call it the heart, whatever, but it's the guiding force that is beyond the mind, like the ego that's like, oh, I would like to do this, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that, all these different things. But then somewhere deep down, there's what your heart is actually trying to guide you towards. And it's like our inherent compass that we're born with. It's this guidance system that's saying, you know, you in, in school of life as a soul on this planet for a very limited amount of time, you're here to grow and learn certain things and have certain types of experiences. And the heart is that compass that's trying to get you to walk your actual soul's path, like your true path, not just all the different things you might do or mentally think are a good idea. There's an actual deeper guidance about why you're here. And the more that we kind of heal and evolve our consciousness and let go of what we think we should be up to, we actually give our heart permission to be our guidance system again and start going, I'm just going to learn how to let go, let my heart take me where my, I'm meant to go in this lifetime, and I'll be the supportive guide along the way. You know, I'll guide my, my body wants to dance. Well, I'm terrified of dancing, but my heart wants me to go towards dancing. Okay, if I have the awareness that says, I'm just kind of the guide for this thing, let me love my body and be supportive where my heart takes me exactly where it wants to go. So as the devil's advocate, sure. the mind then might say, because it does quite frequently, what if I get hurt or what if I suck? Yeah. So I would love to come in here. You know, we built a university. Yeah. And what happened for me on my journey is that I couldn't find one thing. You know, when you want to have a one thing, there's something else and there's something else. And the mind has these multiple layers and it's like it has different doors that it's closed up around itself to protect you from actually becoming the most magnificent self you could become because deeply down, you're not actually scared of the darkness, you're scared of your magnificence. Marianne Williamson says this. But we have all these layers, this really interesting psychological um, setup that we have that keeps us in an ego structure. So in the building of this course, and I don't know how on earth this is something that's just always channeled through me, is taking people on a process that meets each one of those doors at the perfect time that they're ready for it. So if you can imagine, we didn't just look at one thing. We don't just look at meditation. We don't just look at relationships. We took every major area of somebody's life and we put it into 32 classes. We start off with understanding the heart's compass. Then we look at mind strategies. So let's have a look at how your mind avoids the present moment and why. Let's have a look at masks. What does it mean to wear different psychological masks and why do you wear them? When do they turn up in your life? And you can start. So that's just class two. So by this point, you could start to recognize on your journey when that mask of I'm not good enough, I'm incapable turns up and I've given you the tools in this class for you to go, ah, I see the underlying belief system that comes from that. Now with awareness, we're then going to give you tools to go in and unlock that. That's just class two of 32. Then we move through 
trauma, healing the inner child, emotional liberation, understanding the mind, psychological processes to create triggers. What is a trigger? How do you take radical responsibility? What are relationships for? Relationship spiritual gangster style, understanding sex, understanding enlightenment, quantum manifestation, the idea of the law of attraction, how to move beyond that, prosperity, money blocks, everything that we could possibly imagine we put in here. And we built it in a way knowing that once we hit this point, the ego might kick in there. How do we then look at that and then unravel that from this moment now? The beautiful thing about the course is every time you go through a door of your own psychological, um, like this, I, I like this idea of like, okay, imagine all these doors in front of you. Every time you kind of go through one door and you say crack unworthiness, you make peace with that, the game changes. All of a sudden, the way you see the world changes. And so now there's different tools and different methods that help you play on this level. Then the next door opens and the game changes again. So when you're looking at evolving consciously, every time you shift in your consciousness, your perspective of life and all the rules change. So we made sure that as we take people through the journey, we know which level they're going on and we keep evolving that until the idea is if you were, say, to get to the top of the tower and see the overview of your, of your life, if you were to become oneness consciousness, which you can do as an actual experience, some people call it enlightenment, some people call it being in the quantum field, freedom, liberation. From that perspective, once you are embodied in that, and can you do it? Yes, you can. Are there tools? Yes. Can we walk our way through it? Yes. You can then actually shift through all the other layers of consciousness easily. You can understand that multiple different levels of consciousness in the game are happening at one time. I know I'm getting complex here for a minute, but the next part of our course is to train people to help other people to do this. So what you can then do is you know which level they're playing on. I assume Bodhisattva. Exactly. So if someone turns up and you can see they're struggling right now with the belief of I'm not good enough, you know what level they're playing on, you can shift down to that level, you understand the tools, the methods, and exactly what helps at that level. So you can meet there. You absolutely do. It's not just about, I mean, there's beautiful ways, there's many different teachers. You don't want to stand at the top and say, come up here. People don't get that half the time. It's very complex in the mind. But you can go down, sit on that level and go, Ah, I know where you're at. Going straight into oneness consciousness right now is not helpful for you. This is the moment where we find the inner child that's sitting in the corner, struggling with not feeling good enough because when they were three years old, they were neglected. And we've got to go find that child and we'll play this game right now where we use the archetype of the inner child. We'll go find them. At another level of consciousness, that inner child becomes the magician that you go find to look for wisdom. So it depends which level. I mean, we're talking in Hogwarts here. We're talking about the magic of consciousness. Well, I'm seeing wires that are knotted in different spaces mm-hmm. because our ancestors passed along epigenetically their own their own trail back to the Big Bang or beyond mm-hmm. that. And along the way, things, the natural path of existence and freedom of like what what's that, the, the inquiry, like natural inquiry, what's this? I'm curious, like is this something that's going to make me happy? Is this a food that is going to taste good? And then certainly along the path, our ancestors got wound up and tangled in these knots. So what I'm hearing you say is instead of just necessarily saying, well, it's still working, the electricity is still flowing through it in some kind of a way, mm-hmm. or our hose is probably a better analogy for that. Then we go, where is the kink in the hose? Where is the knot in the wire to, to, like, to focus on that particular position? in the consciousness that the person that we're working with, because another thing is like, 
Are either two of you, do you consider yourself ascended masters that have no more work to do? <laughs> because <laughs> because I certainly know. No, let's start there. Speak to yourself. <laughs> Continue. Um, no, but I think our relationship to the whole thing can change dramatically. Um, I do believe that like when someone starts their healing journey, most people carry around some type of subtle belief system that this healing journey never ends. It goes on and on and on and on and on. And there's always another layer and there's always more to do. And there's, there's a stigma around like admitting to yourself on a deep level that actually I don't think there's much left. Like I'm working really hard and I think I'm starting to reach a certain point. And no one's allowed to say that. It's, it sounds like ego when you say it. But the reality is that I think that we're at a point in the collective consciousness that we're ready to start to end this kind of practice round of I'm healing, I'm working, I'm healing, I'm working. Because that's if we don't ever kind of get beyond that, then it's like, what's the point? You know, I talk to people about this, like, well, when does your healing finally end? Mm-hmm. And then we go, on, go into it on a belief system level, and it's like, well, I never. And it's like, well, then why are you doing it? Like, like isn't there a point where it becomes nauseating to be like, oh, my God, I've got another 50 years of inner work to do, you know, because it just goes on and on and on. And I would say that there's something that comes after that. There's a freedom where we go, you know what? I will admit to myself that I've arrived. And you know what? You've been the divine the entire time anyways. So half the fact that there's all this work to be done is because you say so. My teacher used to always say, if you are looking for the shadow, you'll find it. So you have to find this balance between being authentic about what does need to be done because there is work to be done and also not becoming addicted to the inner work because some people call processing junkies. Well, there's always another layer. Well, great. If that's where your creative focus is, that's exactly what you'll encounter. So it's an interesting kind of blend there. Um, I think that as we start to reach the end of our kind of healing process, two things happen. One, yeah, there's not that much more to heal, and we're much more interested about creating, which is why we talk about, well, what's left? What do you want to do once you're done doing your inner work? You want to create art. You want to help other people. You want to be a healer. You want to be a space holder. You want to have fun. You want to celebrate life. You want to dance. And that's what life becomes about. It's something completely different. When we stand in the new world, when we stand on the other side of our individual awakening process, um, that doesn't mean that we don't have moments where we go back and forth. And kind of like what Holly was talking about, there's all these different levels of consciousness. And it's not about, it's not a linear line of, well, I went through all of them and now I'm out of it, so I must be an ascended master and that's the end of it. I would say it's more about having what true freedom would be is to be committed to being on your human journey and saying, hey, this I, I thought I was free of all this, but guess what? Here's another layer of pain. But true freedom is awesome. I'm completely willing and excited and ready to go be with that part of myself and bring love and healing to it. And the freedom is when we can go through all the layers, any moment when it's necessary, and just be with it and understand that that doesn't mean anything negative about you. It just means you're a human being, you're on a journey, be with every single part of you and actually love it. And then, yeah, you're still growing and evolving, but you're not really working because it's not this horrific thing that you found another thing about yourself. It's actually, it's kind of exciting because you realize, wow, look at that. Like, you know, it's almost like, wow, look at that shadow or look how unconscious I was. I didn't even know that was, I was, I didn't even know I still had that. That's amazing. And by being with it now, I get to grow and evolve even farther. And that's beautiful. So if anything, it's less of this, like, now I'm all shiny and perfect and more like a shift in how we're relating to the 
to our greatest wisdom, and then the part of us who's very human and make mistakes and is growing and evolving. I want to say something about this idea of ascendant masters. I'm, I'm sitting here really thinking about this. The ascendant master archetype is still a projection of our consciousness that we set up in a grander scheme of things as a, a benchmark of something that we would love to become. An maybe, aspiration. An aspiration. And at first with this journey of separation, we needed to put all sorts of different characters within inside of our spectrum to be able to understand the spectrum. We have people who represent the, the what we would call the lowest of the low or the darkest of the dark, the most unconscious. And then we have these ascendant masters and angels, right? Part of the integration process is to start to believe that the lowest of the low, the demons, because we, 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 we put all of this out there, right? We've got our demons and our the darkness, you look in, in spiritual philosophy, we've, all, we've had this for all of time. We've always had the, the, the demon and the god in some way, in some form. So both the shadow and the ascendant masters and the angels are both aspects of ourself. And what we're doing with both of these things, interestingly, we reject both of them. The ascendant masters mm. is too high for us to comprehend and say that this is us too. And the demon we don't want to be either. What happens on a process of integration is you start inviting both of them in and realizing that you're actually the container in which both of those things arose. So you ask, am I an ascendant master? Yes, of course. So are you. There is no other answer to that. If you think that you are not, you're still working in separation consciousness. Hmm. What we're, what's happening right now is our body and our consciousness is slowly catching up to the fact that, yes, we are all of it. But the slowness of it in the 3D reality is slowing us down, teaching us how to stop, and exactly what Dylan's talking about, actually love the body's journey along the way. So how do you integrate not feeling like you're good enough? How do you integrate the shadow? How do you integrate the light? And because of the slowness of it and the journey of it, our body is actually training us in the greatest academy of all, what it actually means to embody unconditional love. Mm -hmm. Because unconditional love is the total acceptance over a period of time of the fact that you are all of it. So that would be my take on the Ascendant Masters. The interesting thing is a lot of us need to create Ascendant Masters, we are just listening to this yesterday, or angels, because that's the, the, the only way right now that we feel comfortable in communicating with a higher part of ourselves. We're not yet at a point where we're so worthy within ourselves that we believe we are that. I don't have Ascendant Masters, and, and even God, that spirit I talk about, I'm at a point where I know that's me. I already know that's mm. me. The masters are me. Mm. Is there different levels of consciousness? Is my body still integrating and fully becoming embodied in that? Yes. But I'm not in my mind using that as a way to think that I've somehow incomplete, broken, or not healed anymore. It's just a process of integration to continuously fall into this. And you said it as well. You don't just become that and it's finished. You can keep falling into the experience of unconditional love forever and ever and ever. And the art that comes out, the creativity, the expression is eternal. And that's, we're all on that eternally. So I have one last conceptual question before we wrap by telling people how they can get involved in what they can expect, not on a uh, topic by topic level, but on a like time-based level of how they can get involved and join in with the Earth Pulse Collective. Mm -hmm. um, my question to each of you, starting with Dylan, is something Holly was saying was that Marianne Williamson said that people are not afraid 
of their can you repeat that people are not people really, are not so afraid of their darkness it's their greatness it's so their something in this magnificence it's, yeah, yes it's, yeah they're afraid of their greatest magnificence why do you think that is why are people more afraid of their greatest power than their weakness and their shadow um your greatest power is fucking terrifying it's so far beyond what we're used to relating to who we think we are like the responsibility of it not even no i wouldn't even say the responsibility of it because it's the game just goes on and on and on right i mean the universe is infinite sure you could create responsibility and i think that's a healthy thing to do as individuals but to say that it's a i have this responsibility to i think that's no i think that's separate um but because everything that we've been brought up as who you are who you think you are again it kind of comes back to that story your greatest you transcends the complete story of who you thought you were. And in that kind of, I'm stepping into my greatness, your old self dies. That's it. And so, the, and when you have those moments where you connect into, holy crap, I'm, I'm the universe in a human body and I'm literally infinite. The old story of you as this tiny character who is a little kid who's getting shut down and then you're a weird adolescent teenager and then you're a struggling, all the different human journey just explodes on itself. It literally cannot contain the, the essence of our light. So that's the part of us that dies. And for whatever reason in our human journey, that's the part of ourselves that we, we have a much deeper relationship with our shadow than, and our smallness than we do our light. It's rare that we ever really allow ourselves to feel our light. And it's uh, much more common that we have some, I mean, everyone has some relationship with you as the one who's small or you are the one who wasn't good enough or you as the failure. You might not like that part of yourself, but is it your greatest fear to go sit with that? No. You know it pretty damn well just by being a human being. Mm. Now the infinite, radiant, mag- jet, you know, magnificent, true you that's bigger than all of that, that's way into the unknown. That's way beyond the story of who we who we think we are. I just just to be clever and witty, it's the caterpillar doesn't stop being, it just stops being the caterpillar, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why do you think uh, people are more afraid of uh, their greatest uh, uh, potential? Your question is packed with more than you realize. Because if we came to this planet and we just woke up immediately, the game's over. We came here to experience the opposite, so that we could wake up to our greatness. Fear of our greatness is the only mechanism we had to experience duality. Mm. So we needed to shut ourselves down and be terrified of our greatness so that we could experience our smallness. Because the most liberating thing a human being could do is give up their smallness and realize their greatness. But fear is the only mechanism we had to go in the opposite direction first. So it is a part, an outshooting of our greatness that we created what we could call one definition of the ego structure, the fear of who and what we are. We're already this great. We are when we, before we come as a human being. But we didn't want to come and just feel that straight away because the liberation, it's like an orgasm. You need to go the opposite direction to come back into that experience. So we're afraid of it so that we can play out the character until that character becomes so uncomfortable that we have to let it go. And that's the doorway we have to go through the brilliant part is the second you actually step through the fear and you experience your greatness in the experiencing of it, there is no more fear to be had. It totally dissolves. Yes. This is why 
the enlightened being will laugh and laugh and laugh because in that moment you'll realize the whole thing was a setup. You set it up. You set it up brilliantly. It had to be the way it is. Nothing of the darkness that you ever believed was true is, and you see the perfection of it. Not only do you see the perfection of it, you laugh because you were running away from the thing that you've always been searching for. And it's so hilarious how simple it actually is when the illusion breaks down. So there's a cosmic joke to this entire thing. And uh, the design is truly, truly brilliant. But that is why I'd say we are afraid of our greatness. So in order to tap into and understand by unraveling all of the stories around our flaws and everything, how do we show up to Hogwarts Academy that you guys have created? <laughs> so easily on the 3D term, uh, we have a link that you can go to a landing page. <laughs> okay, and, and how do people find that link? <laughs> we'll send it to you. So I think sure. they can, um, there's a couple of things. If you go to www.earthpulsecollective.com. Okay. So that's our website. We Earthpulsecollective.com. Um, then on that webpage, there is a link that says remember. If you go into remember, there is all the details there about what we're doing. The program itself is phenomenal, and I think it's coming from that incredibly aligned place because it's a four-month program to take people through their inner work, but then we back it onto a four-month facilitated training program. So we have an eight-month inner work facilitated training program that we're going to take people through so that they can become the own magician of their life and actually start to help other people wake up. And then as a company, what we're doing is Earth Pulse because we don't see any greater way to help the world change is we're then going to employ the first group back as facilitators to take people through the same program. So we're looking for ways not only to help people free themselves on what we would call maybe a spiritual, emotional level, but we've also looked at let's free you up financially. Let's free you up so that you can actually find your gift, share your art, create more art, help other people awaken and free yourself financially. And that's what we're creating here because we think playing on both the material world and the spiritual, inner, emotional world is actually the same thing. So we want to create all of it. So the the um, can a person obtain great benefit from going through the Remember program without taking on the eight months of the facilitator? I would say that Remember would change every element of your life alone. Absolutely. Okay. We're not technically opening Remember to the public just as Remember right now. We're going through the first phase of training facilitators who then want to take the public through just that part mid-next year. So we are really looking at this moment for the people, the artists, the healers, the even those who just want to be, who just want to be but feel like they have something in themselves and they want to give back because our first program is actually training people to become badass facilitators of the inner work, which the world, I feel, is calling for more than ever, ever, ever before. I don't know if you want to, do you want to add Can that? I just say that that's audacious as fuck? Yep. Okay. <laughs> no, that feels good. <laughs> <laughs> we have a marketing company who has, has signed up to help us with this. Multi-million dollar marketing Oh, I'm not company. saying that it's... No, no, no. And this is what he said to us. Okay. He said, I'm happy to help you guys because those who are crazy enough to believe they can change the world probably will. And we laughed and we said, we are, I am... We are both mad enough 
in our own right, we've taken enough leaps to know there's not really anything else to do to believe that, yes, we can change the world. And maybe I'm one person or two people in a population of 8 billion in a universe of infinite whatever, and we still are crazy enough to believe that, yes, our own individual awakening can change the entire creation. So we hit it from that level, and we're just playing, playing the game, one, because it's insanely fun, and two, because there's nothing in my life that I've found to be anything more, anything more liberating, more fun, more wildly creative than the journey that we've now created and can teach other people to go on. What does Earth Pulse mean? Like, why Earth Pulse, I guess, as a name? You know, Danny and I created Earth Pulse. Oh, yeah? Yeah, just after we went to, after we went to um, Imagine Festival. And it, it came about because we were sitting, I think, at his kitchen table. And he said his favorite title of a festival was Cosmic Pulse. And I said my favorite was Earth Frequency. And so Earth Pulse came out of the collaboration of these festival names. But I don't think we understood the profound nature of the name until I think what we're going to see is the name of this was given to us because what we're doing is not only realizing that we're infinite consciousness, but we're now bringing that realization back into a human body and a human experience, and we're anchoring our light through the planet. And so through that planet, like mycelium, Human beings will be like mycelium, and we will activate the planet in that way until that frequency is touching everything in this whole world. And I think what will happen is we'll go into a transcendent planet, which means we'll start creating a new world at rapid rates in ways that we can't even imagine as the consciousness evolves. So uh, we wanted to embody it. We wanted to, we wanted to bring realization back to the planet. It's not up there and out in the clouds. It's beneath our feet in this planet with Mother Nature being intimately connected to all things. So that's that's that. I don't know if you want to bring your own realization or understanding. Yeah, what is Earth Pulse? What, when you yeah. hear Earth Pulse and you realize that this is the mission you're serving, how do you, like, what is your response to when you hear Earth Pulse? What comes to mind? Yeah, the, the image is always um, like if the Earth had a heartbeat. And it's pumping that blood through the network of the planet. It's the same thing that, that Holly shared. It's moving that, that energy where we start to realize that we're all connected. There is no distance um, between any of us. And so as different people all across the globe have their own individual awakenings, the impact that that has collectively is massive. Um, and part of the thing that I love about what we're doing is that we're bringing together all the different ways to help people wake up for themselves but we're not telling people what to do once they wake up. From there, you do exactly whatever the heck you're meant to do, whatever your calling is, whatever the pulse inside of you is guiding you towards. Because once you've done that, um, you'll impact the world in a massive way. If you realize you're free, and you're free of all of this, and what's left is, well, let's get crazy, and let's let's actually get in the body and have even more fun being this weird individual you know, character creature thing. Let's get more passionate about it because I'm free of it. And from that place, people do all different kinds of crazy stuff to help the world. And we don't really get to know what it is. That's the fun. It's like when thousands, as thousands, millions of people keep waking up and doing what they're actually here to do in all different you know, avenues of life, it's, it's an immeasurable impact that will uh, ripple throughout the world. Yeah, it's exponential. And yeah. I just want to add to that because what I'm, I'm thinking right now is people are starting to message me and tell me what they think Earth Pulse means to them. 
So they're like, ah, oh, I heard Earth Pulse and it's really resonating with me. And then they give me their definition. And this is really what the collective coming together and creating a new world, I believe, looks like. I'm not here to define Earth Pulse. And maybe Dylan isn't either, but we have our own understanding. But what will happen is the collective is going to turn up and through their own expression, they're going to create what Earth Pulse is. Earth Pulse is a vision. It is a potential. What it actually becomes will be, de will be determined by the individuals who turn up, wake themselves up, and add to this art piece. Earth Pulse is a collective art piece, and we don't know the magnificence of it because that will be determined by every single individual who turns up along the way and shares their art with it. So I'm just as excited as anybody to see what it turns into. The only thing I do know is that it is being created from a place of absolute unconditional love because that is the essence of this project. So whatever it turns into is an expression of that love. And our time is up, but I would like to give people the opportunity, throw them the lifeline, extend the bridge to you guys. So if people want to get in touch with you, if something that you said has touched an individual and was like, wow, that, how do people contact you two individually? How do they follow you and read your writings and see your videos and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. Um, well, Earth Pulse has its own Facebook page, so there's always that, and we've posted a lot of different content um, over the weeks on there. And then I Earth mean, Pulse Collective as the Facebook page. Earth Pulse, Earth Pulse Collective. Earth Pulse Collective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then um, I mean, other than that, just Facebook would be the, the easiest way for me, anyways. You okay. can just look up Dylan Lyon, D Y L A N L Y O N. I actually did, and I saw there was like five thousand. Dylan Lyons, so maybe Earth Pulse Collective, yeah, they can you find can you. Totally do that. At this point, yeah. I would go through our website because we're still putting all the social media. We're coming together as this collective only in, in recent times. So at the moment, Earth Pulse Collective website is a good place to start. Um, my, my personal Facebook is where I'm putting out a lot of my own content at the moment. So that's Holly Angela Clark. Um, I'm really happy for people to send me a friend request or a message. Like if someone finds me, and they want to send me a, a message, a voice message, I'm super happy with that right now. There's an email that is um, on the website, which is info at earthpulsecollective.com. Info at earthpulsecollective.com. Yep. Info at earthpulsecollective.com. If anyone has any questions or they want to share anything, they're welcome to send an email. We're still in charge of our email, so we'll see everything that comes through mm -hmm. there. That's a really good way to, to get in contact with us. And um, yeah, so we've, we're on Instagram as Earth Pulse Collective as well, but we're building our content around this. So um, yeah, our individual Facebooks and that email right now is probably the best way to, to contact us. Cool. Um, I need to, I have the responsibility of saying that I was a little remiss in not mentioning and asking you guys about the uh, Jedi Council that is already on board with supporting everybody. We mentioned Danny, but I do know that you guys have a whole host of uh, experts and counsel and amazing healers that have already joined the, the collective to help support the people that are coming on board. Mm -hmm. Um, that when you say like the different, the different stages and steps of the process, that there's other so there's support that's coming in. So for anybody that's interested in, uh, seeing who else is already on board and signed on to, uh, facilitate, then you can go to the website mm -hmm. and click on the link to see the whole host of people. And I wish we had a little bit more time to give us an opportunity to gather together again. Um, so thank you guys for spending your afternoon with me. And uh, I hope that we get to do this again soon with some video mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. and invite other people into the collective conversation as well. And I'm excited for you guys to start your own podcast. Yeah, I was going to say we're super excited <laughs> to start our own podcast so that we can start having meaningful conversations that I think a lot of us are ready to have. So thank you so much for your time. Yep.